Listening to Balrod Radio. My name is Matt Weston. Tonight I'm joined by the biggest, the fattest, most of all, the drunkest of them all, BFD, and a good friend from way across the sea, Luke. How are you fellas doing tonight? Woo! Yeah. <laughs> Short and sweet. I'm doing great, Matt. Uh, how are you? Uh, I'm all right. I'm still hungover from New Year's Eve. And I, I, you know, I completely deserve it. This is all self-induced. These are foreseen circumstances I was unable to overcome. But, you know, I'm already, I'm done with 2019. I'm ready for 2020 already. Let's go ahead and cancel 2019. Uh, this isn't going to be the year next year. Next year's the year. Yeah, just, just keep, keep pushing it back and we'll, we'll, we'll eventually get to one which we like more than anything else. I mean, I rang, it, I rang in the new year on a bus eating Chinese while I was drunk, like Chinese food while I was drunk. So, you know, this year has already got off to a kicking good start for me. No, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah I mean, like, this sudden, nice. yeah. It, w- it was nice. You just suddenly turn, like, turn to a stranger and, like, the bus, and you're just like, hey, Happy New Year. And he just looks at you and is like, what are you, are you drunk? You are drunk. Oh, okay, move on then. It's just like, you know, nice awkward bus conversation to start the year. That's all you need. And we don't we don't have buses in Texas. And then also, I'm surprised they have Chinese food in Ireland. I didn't think that'd be something they have. <laughs> something. Oh you know, my! Ireland, we don't have snakes. We don't have Chinese oh, food. Yeah, uh, we don't have ketchup. Gonna, you just I I want to know I want to know like do you think globalization is a thing? Like, are you is is that just a, a concept to you that you just cannot grasp, or is it just something that's completely ethereal to you? Like it's. It's like, it's Fugazi. Is cap, it like, is globalization like Fugazi to Matt Weston? That's what I want to know. <laughs> I just kind of operate in the fact that like, if I don't know something's for sure, I just operate in the fact that it just doesn't exist all whatsoever. So I'm like, I don't, I don't know if they have Chinese food in Ireland. So I'm just going to go ahead and say they don't, you know, I have to see it to believe it first. Hey, okay. true story, Matt, the Indian food you get in London is about the best there is. Ooh, that sounds yeah. nice. Yeah, it kicks almighty ass. As, as somebody who has eaten in, uh, like, down in Brixton, where a, lar- where a large chunk of the uh, Eastern Asian population in India and Pakistani are, they do kick-ass curry food. Like, really, really good stuff. See, that makes sense to me because of, you know, imperialism and colonialism and, uh, and the pillaging of India by the British Empire. Like, I can understand that, but I don't know where Ireland and China intersected all whatsoever. I saw uh, there's a lot of boats in the internet and you can kind of get anything you want nowadays. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, yeah. It's a weird, weird kind of fusion. It's not like any of the Irish, like the, any of the Irish cuisine made it into China or like, it's not like the Chinese cuisine in Ireland is like this weird hybrid fusion. No, we don't have a cuisine. We just take from other countries because we are terrible at cooking. Yeah, I imagine it, it would be just like potatoes and noodles with soy sauce poured on it. <laughs> Chinese food, and that's what you guys are just eating over there to celebrate the New Year. Some, just some unholy noodle and potato-based food. <laughs> yeah, that sounds pretty good to me. Yeah. Well, there was a football game last Sunday. Or, yeah, last Sunday at 12 o'clock. It seems so long ago since it's Wednesday. So we'll, there's like three things I want to talk about from that game. 
And then we'll preview the wild card round of the playoffs with the Houston Texans playing the Colts at 3.30. Of course, you know, they get the first Saturday afternoon game because that's just the way it works for this team. Uh, so the three things I want to talk about with the Texans, uh, one, the run game. Two, I have this uh, J.J. Watt hot take. And then three, you know, DeAndre Hopkins versus Jalen Ramsey and kind of the passing offense and how sustainable it can, it can be going forward into the playoffs. So with the run game, it was really bad for the previous two weeks without Lamar Miller. No, Alfred Blue's not better than Lamar Miller. Alfred Blue's bad. Uh, Deontay Foreman was bad against Philly whenever he came back uh, from health. And the Texans rushed for only 56 yards on 17 carries with Lamar Miller last week. And Deshaun Watson had 13 rushing attempts for 66 yards. But before that game, their backs were averaging less than two yards a carry uh, in the two weeks previously without Lamar Miller. And really kind of big thing, though, about this game was they used Deshaun Watson as a runner a lot. They manufactured him as a runner. They ran that, uh, that power lead play a lot. They ran some zone read. They ran that zone lead play, as we like to call it, where you have the, you're reading the deep play side defensive end, and you, have, you can turn the back into the fullback, and he kind of leads the way. And I really have enjoyed watching Baltimore run that play and even Houston run that play when they do sometimes, but especially more than anything when Josh Allen runs that play. And then using Watts as a runner, manufactured him, like really kind of jump-started what was an impotent and anemic run game. And so, BFT, do you see this trend continuing into the postseason where Deshaun Watson is just going to have to be the do-it-all driver of the offense, not only in the passing game but through the run game too? I, I think that's a high probability. And let's be honest, he's just far more effective, uh, the most effective running back on the team right now. And a lot of that is, is that – and this is my – what I'm kind of seeing on it is that teams are really crashing hard on the run game and any semblance of the run game. And so that's why I think that we saw, we've seen Watson become more effective over the past couple of weeks is because the play actions work so well. So, you know, we've seen that, the, that Bill O'Brien just really values for some unknown freaking reason, establishing the run first and foremost, and at all costs. I mean, this is like the, it's like every, game is is um it's like the battle of Verdun where he just insists on bleeding the the opponents white just so he can run the damn ball he does not realizing he's also destroying his own army right so teams see this and they've really picked up on it i think and so that's why you see you see um, an extra guy in the box sometimes that you really see the crashing hard on it because they know that bill o'brien's not going to throw the damn ball on first down and so the play action has been more effective which is making deshaun watson more effective but also, it's like the play run, the play calls that you just mentioned have made Watson much more effective as a runner. I mean, we're doing things to get him out and about in space. So I think once you start letting Watson run the ball and you start letting Watson, most importantly, start throwing the ball downfield, I think that opens up the run game. So you don't establish the run game. You establish the passing game in order to have a run game. And that's, that's where Bill O'Brien's at it backwards. And look, those football outsiders type people – and I consider myself to be, you know, it's that kind of geek, you know, person. We've known this for a long time. And it's like the Bill O'Briens of the world are the ones who are finally catching up to that. Yeah, it's kind of, it's kind of a weird um, dichotomy. It, he's, and I think if you look at the Texans' successes so far this season, I think one of the key things that runs through it, especially during that three to four game stretch during the middle of the season where, Deshaun Watson didn't have, what, more than 25 attempts per game over a course of three games. It's because the Texans had a well-established run game, which could gain them easy yards, create easy, or sorry, easier to manufacture play action throws, which, you know, 
makes the offense a lot more smoother and a lot more efficient to run. When the run game is clogged down, which defenses now understand about the Texans, yeah, they really can't scheme a lot of open receivers, especially due to the fact that they've lost most of their secondary ones now, where it's just, hey, listen, we can just double DeAndre Hopkins and ask Vincent Smith to get open. So let's just crash the run game as hard as we can. Watson as a runner, I think, is another way to just create simple yardage. Like, this is bare bones. We are just trying to move the offense as much as possible. Like, again, that kind of quote of, we're not trying to be the number one offense kind of rings true here. They're not trying to be the best. They're just trying to get by with what works. And what works right now is Watson as a runner. Yeah, and I, I know the way I've kind of felt about this Watson's a runner thing is I was really surprised they didn't do it to start the year. Because it was like, where's that super cool offense from 2017 that averaged 31 points a game? That worked really well. It turned into just a pure shotgun spread offense. The same sort of offense that Tom Savage tried to run that couldn't run. Uh, the same offense that Brian Hoyer ran was terrible in. The same offense every single quarterback was bad in uh, that Houston had. And then Bill O'Brien kind of changed that, you know, week four against Indy when they, they took off and scored 34 points that game. And, you know, 14 of those points were gifted by the defense, but – it was still a, a huge resurgence from the offense uh, after the way the first three weeks started. And then Watson got hurt, and they kind of had a, they had a real man try to limit the number of throws he had, try to limit the number of rushing attempts he had, just kind of like diminish him as much as they possibly could, keep him healthy. And now that you know his lungs have turned from blue back to pink, and he can he's actually strong and tough and all that again. Uh, using Watson as a runner has been you know I think it, this game shouldn't be a one off point. It should be a staple of the team while you know, Watson's still young and healthy. And also with the run game having the issues it's had, where these are like systemic issues. This is Julian Davenport and Nick Marr can't block the second level. This is Zach Fulton being unable to generate any sort of vertical movement. This is Sneo Calamente having terrible hands. This is uh, Kendall Am just being, you know, abhorrent. And then the tight ends having their own problems as well too. An easy way to kind of correct that is just swing the numbers in your favor. And using Watson as a runner, you know, does that really easily. And so I don't think, like, the number of rushing attempts he had this game should be something that should just happen once. You know, this should be happening next week and throughout the rest of the postseason. And, you know, it should have been something that happened earlier this year as well, too. Uh, and, you know, I, can, I understand, like, why the middle season went the way it did with the offensive production. But now that's the postseason. Like, this is something that needs to keep happening over and over again. And even though, like, Alphabet had three carries for 12 yards, it's still three carries too many. Only Lamar Miller and uh, Watson should get the ball at all in the run game. You know, from here on out, too. Watching Alfred Blue try to play football, it's just, it's painful. And Lamar Miller is, he's not able, he, you know, again, we, we don't use him the right way anyway. We, we should be running a lot of inside and outside zone with him instead of any sort of power thing. So we're not even using those running backs. But Deshaun Watson, let Lamar Miller be his lead back, and then you're going to be far more successful. And we've seen that. So, there's a proof in the pudding. Yeah. And uh, Luke, so how do you feel about Watson being used like this? Were you okay with him being continuously used as a runner, even late in the game, whenever Houston was up pretty comfortably? Are you worried about his long-term health? And also, did you have any, like, Cecil Shorts, Arian Foster, 2015 type of flashbacks where you're just hoping and just praying he didn't get hurt in some meaningless situation? Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's usually kind of what – you know, starts running through the brain whenever you see just a player get kind of chronically misused. Um, going, like, it's a bit difficult to kind of place in terms. I do think it's, I do think it's, a, should be a necessary part of the offense. 
Whether or not it'll continue, I'm less sure of that. I think, like I kind of touched on this a couple of weeks back when I was uh, when we were talking about. It. I think it was uh, the Eagles game that was coming up, um, and the and the idea of the offense now being less based around like trying to move further and further away from what it had been in Watson's rookie year because that had brought about a couple of like very loose plays, but like which. Oddly, odd times led to turnovers. I think Bill O'Brien wants to keep Watson in the pocket as much as possible. And he kind of wants to run very structured, very kind of basic, very understandable offense. Um, the problem is Watson's really, really good at, at improvising. So putting him into those situations has to, has to happen, even though, yeah, it could put them at risk. Or sorry, it could put them at long-term risk. But seriously, they don't have any, they don't have any other cards on the table, much like a bunch of other different things you could look at across the roster. It's just like they have no choice. This has to be their option. Otherwise, they're 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 not optimizing what they have on the team. Yeah, it's like Watson isn't being used as a runner. And you know, with Lamar Miller healthy, the rushing attack's much better than was previously. But you know, you're still looking at games where you're going to have like a DVOA of like negative like 8% on the, on, in, on the ground. And also you have an offensive coordinator, Bill O'Brien, who is so run-heavy, run-dependent even though he really shouldn't be as well uh, sometimes too. Now, looking at this game specifically, also BFD, you know, talking about the Jaguars, whenever they had that strange punt that they were able to turn three points out of, were you ever concerned at all that Jacksonville could actually win this game? Or was it just kind of a lot of just like, just waiting for the inevitable and uh, then the game to roll around so the AFC South was, was officially locked up? I think once the Texans got two scores ahead, it just felt like, like, uh, for me, it just felt like Blake Bortles is your quarterback. Matt, bring out the flow chart. Blake Bortles is a quarterback, which means you can't throw the ball. You can't run the ball against the Texans. And Leonard Fournette evidently has just absolutely given up on that team. So, you know, I just never felt like that, that, that the Jaguars even had a chance. It was going to have to be something fluky. It was going to have to be a strip stack and fumble. It was going to have to be D.E. Westbrook returning a punt for a touchdown kind of thing for them to even remotely have a chance. Because they sure as heck weren't going to do it. Blake Bortles, Bortling. Yeah, and I know Bortles, like, last year he was 16th in DVOA. This year he was 30th, and he was only ahead of, you know, rookie quarterbacks Josh Allen, Josh Rosen. And so he was the worst non-rookie quarterback in football this year. And, you know, we, we, we spent enough uh, words kind of talking about him. But, yeah, I mean, I felt the same way, too, watching this one, that once Houston went up, like, 10-3, I was like, yeah, that's kind of it here. And I took, like, eight little micro naps during the game. It was, it was pretty nice. And then went back and watched it again. And I was like, okay, I, I kind of I get what's going on here. Now, so I have a big J.J. Watt take. Not really that big, but it's like uh, S. Pequeno Caliente Taki, where J.J. Watt has had 16 sacks this year. But in this game, he went up against Corey Robinson, who's the Jaguars' fourth right tackle this season. Uh, they had, you know, Jeremy Parnell there. Then they had Josh Wells there. Then they had to move Patrick Omame from right guard, right tackle. He was really bad at it there. They brought Corey Robinson in, who you know, didn't even have a, a team – until like, you know, three, three weeks ago and the Jaguars just kind of brought him and he tried out. I said, well, this is the best that we got. Uh, he also had three sacks against Chad Wheeler. He had a couple of sacks against the, he had two sacks against the Colts whenever he was going up against Denzel Good, who isn't very good. And he also had two sacks against the Jets too. And so I think J.J. Watt, like whenever you look at his numbers, the pressures, the quarterback hits the sacks and like his play, you know, like he was dominant. He had a great season. But I don't think he's been as great as his numbers indicate just because by going up against, you know, bad right tackles, he's able to inflate his stats a lot more than, 
you know, maybe like he, he should have been because he was locked up by Brandon Smith. He's been, you know, locked up by better offensive tackles. I, I do think the best game he had probably was against Tennessee where he worked Jack Conklin pretty good. And it's not to say that, like, Watt wasn't incredible this year. He was he was incredible. He was great. But I don't think he was, like, the best defensive end in football as pro football focus would have you believe. And I also want to bring this up, too, because Jadavion Clowney, it, this is the fifth year of his deal. Uh, there's going to be talks about extensions. And there's also this kind of strange narrative that Clowney hurts the team with his penalties that he isn't as important to the team, that J.J. Watt's so much better and that sort of thing. And I don't necessarily think that's true. I think Clowney's been just as good as Watt, uh, even if not better than him. You know, Clowney wasn't ready whenever the season started. He didn't play well at all for the first three weeks. It wasn't until that Colts game that he actually had a really great game. And he, you know, was a complete monster in that one. He's the team's sole interior pass resource at the moment. He's the better run defender as well, too. Uh, and, you know, if you kind of look at week four on, I think their numbers are a lot more similar than you would kind of kind of think at first. And also with Clowney too, like he's just like I think he's just been overlooked. And I think there's this like really kind of silly narrative going going along with him. Or I think he's just been as good as, as well, if not better, uh, at different points of the year. And I think from week four on, you could maybe even make the case that uh, Clowney's been better than Watt has. Uh, Luke, do you agree with this uh, this take I have, or is this just some some dumb thing that comes to my brain after thinking about the Texans for too long? Um. So there are bits of it which I will agree with. I, I, like, I'm trying to cast my mind all the way back through the endless memory banks of really bad Texas games that I've watched. Try and remember the last time I saw J.J. Watt go up against a left tackle. Because every... Since like, Wade, were, sorry, Wade Phillips kind of gave him free reign to just move along, along, along the defensive line to essentially try and find whatever match he felt most like, comfortable with or just most excited about it, it's just like, oh, I found it. Slow, like a slow-footed right tackle is just like, I'm going to kick his ass in the rest of the game. That's great. However, it really does inflate your numbers when you do go up against those kind of tackles game after game after game after game. So I do believe there is some credence to the idea that, yeah, Watt is picking his matchups and he's picking really favorable ones. Do you give him credit for have, being smart enough to know where he can win? Yeah, you can give him that. But do you ding Clowney for going up against the bit like, the best left tackles in the league week after week and not getting the same production, even though he might still be getting some kind of pressure. Yeah. I, w- I would say there's a little, there's a little bit of both in that. I will say this. Um, Clowney is more important to the Texans right now. If he, if Clowney pops off and if Clown- I think Clowney's like peak, like in a, in a flash plan of the game, I think it's higher than Watts. And I think it impacts the game a lot more than Watt would. I still think that Watt can just have ridiculous amount of effect on the field as a whole. I just think when Clowney is going at 100% and going like snap after snap, it's just he, he ruins games. Like he ruins run games. He ruins past. Like he will just have such a massive impact across the board that it's really, it's like, it's ridiculous to think that, yeah, we might actually not actually, or say we might not give this guy, you know, a big five-year deal, which we totally should, because if he leaves, the Texans have, well, or like this, this is one of the things I kind of touched on, or so I was looking to touch on, was the Texans, their rotation of five and seven tech, or say seven and nine technique pass rushers right now is Duke Edge of four, and that's it. They have no one outside of Clowney, Watt, and Edge of four to occupy those outside passing rushing positions. So if they want to have any kind of versatility in terms of what they're going to do with the defensive line or 
anything else, they kind of have to invest in it. And even as what is moving off towards the end of the career, his career, he is turning, I think, 30 or he's already turned 30. He's moving into it. He's moving past his prime. Clowney is moving into his prime. Clowney should be replacing what by all means. So if otherwise, if you kick, if you take out Clowney, you've suddenly got one guy who's on the decline and you're looking to try and find or trying to find pieces to invest um, to try and essentially create, create a bridge between the bar. I don't think it's a bad take. I just think it's hard. It's hard to get, it's hard to get behind such low statistical production, which Clowney has had. Yeah, I'm, I'm super bummed he wasn't able to get that 10 sack against Eric Clark. I was too. I was so, so annoyed. I just wanted to scream stats good from the highest of peaks <laughs> and just finally have that put to bed. It was just like, he's got it. He's got the 10 sacks, okay? Everyone else can shut up now. Yeah, leave, leave him alone a little bit. Because <laughs> I know like, everybody keeps, keeps trying to compare him to Cleo Mack or Aaron Donald because they're in the same draft class. And like, because he's the number one overall pick, but you can't. Because those two guys are like, what those are franchise cornerstones. I think Clowney's a guy you can build a defense around, but he's not the same level of technique as those two guys are. But that doesn't mean like he's not great and he isn't worth uh, keeping around. And I, and I, I don't know. I just don't like the narrative that's kind of going around him because Houston should franchise tag him. The only thought that kind of gives me a concern about such a long-term deal is still that injury history. But at minimum, he has to be franchise tag because Houston doesn't have the talent of defense like they've had previously to let somebody like him go. Especially Watt, you know, about to turn. He's going to turn 30 years old, entering the 2019 season as well, too. And like, I don't want to see another AJ Boy situation happen again, where it's an obvious you know, need that Texans should keep this guy around. They let him walk, and uh, just because you know it's kind of a dumb thing. Uh, what do you think, BFD? Do you have anything to add to this at all? Uh, just a little bit. I think I just want to join in that the takes about oh, Klein is going to kill us with an offsize are stupid. Number two, I like the franchise tag idea. Idea. Uh, to keep him under contract for one more year. We put off the big contract. I think if you want to make a commitment to him, you can. He was on the younger side. That's what made him kind of a better-looking prospect at the time than Cleo Mack because he was younger. He's like two or three years younger. So I would be willing – like, I could forego the um, tagging him and giving him a contract just to make the feels happen. Uh, and I think that there's no way in Hades we should let him go by any means, because, I mean, look what happened with the Raiders when they gave up on Mac. Clowney's no Mac, but it's a really difficult position to replace in the NFL, especially the guy who's, who's easily top five defensive end against playing the run, much less his ability to get to the pass and create problems. And is there anybody, is, is there a single defensive lineman in the NFL that's better than Clowney at chasing plays from behind? So I think we got to keep him. As far as, yeah, Watt gets to pick and choose his spots where Clowney doesn't, and Clowney's spending a lot of time standing up. But I think when you start looking at their skill sets at this part of their career, I think this, that they're being more or less used correctly. Let's let Watt go against the inferior talent. Let's let Clowney do all sorts of other things and do some of that ad-libbing that Watt's done in the past. But absolutely, we keep them. Absolutely stop with the silly narratives. Yeah, and, and I think one of the things we talked about, too, is that you know Clowney's going up against left tackles. Watt's going up against right tackles. But – you know, watch it put in the interior more. Or in pass rushing situations, watch it just plays a three technique. He yep. can take, you know, 15 hits to the to the gut if he needs to uh, during a pass rush situations because it's only, you know, 15, you know, like 15 third and long situations you may get. Like 15, you know, obvious passing situations, you get where you can put him out there on the, out, on the inside. Or he goes up against the team's right guard and they put Merciless in a situation he's more comfortable in 
and you get and you count with the dominoes uh, get knocked down as well too from there. But yeah, I mean, I, I agree with everything you both say. Yeah, and it's still hopefully Clowney gets a sack against Indy this week, so he can kind of sort of get those ten sacks. But uh, I'm so tired of seeing everything. It's like, yeah, Clowney still doesn't have, have a ten sack season. Even last year against the Colts, he had the opportunity to get that ten sack and was able to week seventeen during that meaningless time. But whatever, we don't you know. Not everything can go perfectly. Uh, it still is weird though because he was going up against Eric Flowers that he was able to get that last one. But you know, it's yeah. fine. Uh, so Hopkins in this game, he had his best game he's had in his career against Jalen Ramsey. He had 12 catches on 16 targets for 147 yards, including a long of 43. And then DeAndre Carter, the Texans' new slot receiver, he was second on the team with 33 receiving yards. And and it wasn't like Jalen Ramsey wasn't playing; like he was out there yapping, he was trying. Uh, Hopkins was just you know extending off of him you know so well. He was reaching out and catching everything and. I mean, he just, he just made Ramsey look like a, a mediocre player when he isn't. I mean, Ramsey's a top-five quarterback, actually. So, BFD, do you think Hopkins can carry the passing offense on his own this postseason? Because after Hopkins, it's Vincent Smith, it's DeAndre Carter. Kiki Cutie's practice this week. He should be able to play, but last time he played, he managed to, like, last one series before aggravating that hamstring again. Uh, their tight ends are, you know, more, more Ryan Griffin than it needs to be. They have Jordan Thomas and Jordan Akins, but who knows which one you're going to get and who's actually going to get playing time if the game happens. And especially if being a postseason game, how much is O'Brien actually going to trust younger players because he hasn't done that that often uh, during his career. And then, of course, you have Mar Miller in the backfield too. But it looks like it's just going to be a lot of DeAndre Hopkins and that's it. And so, again, do you think he can carry the passing offense on his own this postseason? I think to a large degree he can. I mean, everybody needs some help, and teams are going to you know, clearly pick up on the fact that <clears throat> he's basically the only guy out there with that sort of experience. I really did like how DeAndre Carter looked on Sunday, though. So, and you mentioned it, and I wanted to make sure. You know, Cutie's been practicing this week, and he's, he's, I think he's on track to play, and he adds a lot to the offense with his uh, slot receiver dimension. <clears throat> but, I mean, on Sunday, when you see Jalen Ramsey covering DeAndre Hopkins like a blanket – we talked about it earlier this year, Matt. It does not matter. Just throw the damn ball to Hopkins because he's going to outhand the ball to whomever's covering him. I mean, Jalen Ramsey, Ramsey for a couple of times was all over Hopkins, and Hopkins just does not care. Just throw him the ball. If he doesn't look open, he's still open. Yeah, that's, that's the beautiful, beautiful thing about DeAndre Hopkins is that I can't honestly think of another receiver I'd want to, I would want in contested catch situations. He's just – he like one of the thing, one of the things which has oftentimes annoyed me about Bill O'Brien's offense is the scheme concepts that he runs, especially on offense, don't are are just sort of hey get open or you know this or the offense isn't going to function. Um, it's also why I'm a little less optimistic about uh, the idea of the passing core as, as a whole. Um, but even even in situations where he doesn't separate, he's still open and he's still a viable passing option if you want to go in and target him. Do I think he can carry? No, because he's he's we're one New England game away from them just rolling cover four, having safety come down and play over the top, or sorry, in front of him, or just cut any kind of out route like straight out off the books, much like the Texans actually do, or they at least teach their safeties to, um, and just kind of have him being taken out of the game and we're suddenly turned to, can Vincent Smith get open consistently? Which, I don't know. He's We've seen him play, what, maybe 20, 30 snaps or so. There was that one There was that one play in Philly, which he did really well. Uh, is there 
really much else to go off here. No, I don't feel I don't feel like that. Hopkins is great, but Hopkins can't carry a team. No receiver can carry a team. Yeah, and I and I think what happened kind of this game is you just have Hopkins, you know, against man coverage. And you're mentioning you know cover four and cover three, and we're about to start beating the Colts here in a second. And that's what the Colts did against Hopkins the last time they played. They ran a lot of cover four. They ran a lot of cover three. The Eagles did the same thing. And they did a good job, like, masking what they were doing with Hopkins to come down, break on him, too, and kind of camouflage whenever they double-teamed him. Uh, but, you know, and I think even, like, if Hopkins has 160 receiving yards and a touchdown, that still isn't going to be enough. They're going to need somebody else to step up. And whether it's Carter, whether it's Cutie, I don't know who it's going to be, but they're going to need you know somebody more than just DeAndre Hopkins to be able to score the 31 points, the 27 points that's going to be required to be a team like the Colts or the or the Chiefs or the New England Patriots or the Chargers. You know, they're really great passing offense that should be able to score a bunch of points on Houston's defense. Um, and the last thing I, I really have to say about DeAndre Hopkins too is, I you know everybody says he's the best wide receiver in the league, but there's still like the athleticism component that goes along with it where Hopkins isn't you know, like an athletic talent like Antonio Brown is or Julio Jones is or, you know, Del Beckham is or Tyreek Hill is and some of these other guys. But I think the best way to say is that Hopkins is the most skillful wide receiver in the league. And so that can kind of like summarize more of the fact of how he gets open in subtle ways, how good of a receiver he is at catching the ball, uh, how strong he is too, how he, high, how he high points the ball, how he catches everything, doesn't drop any passes whatsoever. So I think skillful is the way to say it. And then if you want to say if you want to combine that with athleticism, you know you probably put Julio Jones there as the as being the best. But I think skillful is the is kind of the best way to put it. Hey, yeah. and Matt, Matt, I'm not I'm not going to allow you to idly insult the hardest working man in football. Look, 27 points that we need. That's nine field goals. Danny Fairbairn can be <laughs> standing on his head. So I don't want, I don't I'm not going to stand here while you insult him. <laughs> kind of kicking when I get sore. That's the real question. <laughs> I forgot he led the league in field goals this year too. Yeah, I'm he led the league in scoring. Yeah, I led the league in scoring this year, and they're all like forty-two yard field goals. You can't even say like Kaimi's a great kicker because he doesn't make anything that far out. It's just all like forty-five yard field goals, you know. <laughs> uh, no. Do either of you have anything else you want to add from this game? Hmm. Uh, watching Blake Bortles throw a knuckleball completion was one of the highlights of my evening. That was <laughs> so good. So very, very good to watch somebody. Like, every time I see him throw the football, I just have that one line from his scouting report where it's just like, he's not a natural thrower of the football. And it's just, I hear it repeated every single time I see him wind up. It's just like, not a natural thrower of the football. It looked like, just even his mechanics look so weird, so cumbersome. Uh, so like unkept, so that they just it, like I can't I, I can't quite describe it. It's like Matt, do you remember that Bengals game last year where Julian Davenport was put in as the extra blocker? Yeah, and the, yeah, those one or two snaps where he was just like looking around, seeing where everything was. It was like I don't know what the hell I'm supposed to be doing here. Yeah, that's what it looks like when Blake Bortles throws. Yeah, that's a pretty good comparison. And, like, all Davenport did that game, too, is just make a bunch of one-versus-one one blocks against defensive ends. He was pretty good at it. Uh, no, but, like, Bortles, I don't know what happened to him as far as his downfield throwing ability, but, like, that miss to D.D. Westbrook was bad. He had another one down the right sideline. Like, he had guys open downfield, and last year he was making those throws. That Seahawks game was a great example of, you know, Blake Bortles throwing the ball downfield with success, and 
Even like Keelan Cole caught like two touchdown passes that game. And I really had no idea what happened to his ability to throw the ball downfield with any sort of they didn't like throw any completions at all. I just feel I feel bad. Like I just feel sad and gross watching him play quarterback. And I yeah. I really hope like I hope Boros ends up being a backup in the AFC South like the Titans one day. But other than that, like I really don't think I ever want to watch him play quarterback again. It just makes me feel bad. So here, true, true story from the game on Sunday. Blake Bortles had four rushes for 15 yards for 3.8 yards per carry. He had 3.8 yards per attempt as a passer. So he was yeah. just as effective with his arm as with his legs. And that's exactly. name redacted territory there, too. Anytime you get below four, you're name redacted territory. You never want to be there. Oh, that is – I'm, I'm, looking, I'm looking this up now. Just to make, oh, that is beautiful. That is – I mean, no, no wonder Leonard Fournette gave up. Holy crap. That is do, beautiful. Do either of you know what the deal is with TJ Yeldon? Like, why they just completely stopped playing him? Uh, I think it was mostly because they got Carlos Hyden, and then both of them just stopped caring. Gotcha. TJ, yeah, TJ Yeldon is a kind of a weird one. He's been... He's been the third down back for a team which has just relied on him so, so much for check down rights um, this year. Like, Blake, like Blake Bortles and Cody Kessler are not flinging the ball 10 yards downfield. They're not comfortable doing it. Um, but yeah, Yeldon's always kind of been the weird of, like, he's been the stepchild, essentially, of, of the Jags passing attack and just Jags run game as a whole. Um, I, like, I, I don't know what, what's going to happen because his he's, contract is up this year. So he's going to be a free agent, and I don't imagine they're going to bring him back. Uh, yeah, I don't think so either, but he's, he's too good to not play at all. Like, he's a good outside zone runner, and he's in the passing game too. And, like, you know, if Houston decides to move on from Lamar Miller or don't think you – know, or they need a backup plan for Deontay Foreman, I would love to see TJ Gold in Houston for, you know, 2 or $3 million a year, $4 million a year, and they can give him some for something like that because I just think he's been, you know, underused in Jacksonville. Oh, yeah, totally. I think – I think TJ Yeldon can be what Lamar Miller is now. So essentially just that kind that kind of player, like that kind of outside runner with a passing degree or sorry, a nice passing element in there, just consistently cheaper, which you know, that's a good that's a Yeah. All right, so we're gonna take a quick break. We talked way too much about this game. I knew this was gonna happen, but uh, it's kinda of, it's kinda of the joys of doing the show. So we're gonna take a quick break and when we come back, we'll talk about the Texans Colts game. And we're back. So this Saturday, 3.30, the Houston Texans, the number three seed, are at home playing the Indianapolis Colts. And, uh, of, course, of course, they play in the first playoff game. If it includes the AFC South or Cincinnati Bengals, it's going to be the 3.30 game. The Texans uh, are the lucky ones this time. So Andrew Luck, in his, last, in his two games against the Texans this year, he has 863 passing yards, six touchdowns, one interception. He was sacked six times, but the majority of the sacks came in their first matchup. When their left tackle was LaRaven Clark, and their right tackle was Denzel Good, and their right guard at the time was, uh, I believe it was Joe Haig in that game, too. They completed 64.8% of their passes, and uh, Andrew Luck averaged 8.2 yards an attempt. So in that first game, Juan Cl- or I guess the season, Juan Clowney credit with seven sacks against the Colts. Uh, Clowney scored a touchdown while forced to fumble into his own red zone that first win. And so BFD, if Juan Clowney don't dominate, if they aren't spectacular, is there any chance that the Texans can limit the Colts' passing attack at all? No, I think that's going to be really the key to the game. It's, it's those two, fa- it's two factors. <clears throat> Excuse me. 
And I think you can break down the second of those factors a little bit uh, more microscopically, which is can J.J. Watt do anything against Braden Smith this game? Because he was absolutely stonewalled in the last game. And I think if Smith or if Watt is not able to do something against Smith, and you're canceling him out with one body, that's going to be a really bad sign for the rest of the defensive line. That means you can chip at clowning all day, and really the only other guy you have to worry about getting to the quarterback is, is merciless. Yes, I know, Christian Covington had a couple of sacks in the game. He's, he, he scored 1.7 gigawatts on the pro football focus that game. But that's, that's part one, or that's kind of part two and part two A, but the other one is, is, you know, the offensive scheme, of course, and we'll talk about that, I'm sure. But if we don't get to Andrew Luck and he's allowed to, to sit back in the pocket and smoke a cigar and drink a nice lemonade, he's going to butcher us. <laughs> Did you see that quote from Luck where they're like, how do you feel about making the playoffs, Andrew? said, it's, it's stinking great. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy, God, God bless that man. <laughs> Uh, he's def- he was definitely born the wrong time period. Uh, yeah, I-, I agree with what you're saying to BFD. And I think kind of the thing is with Houston is it can't just be Watt and it can't just be Clowney. Both of these two guys have to be absolutely spectacular. They both have to dominate. And the last time these two teams played, like you mentioned, Watt was unable to do anything in Spray and Smith. Clowney was pretty good against Costanzo. He got close a bunch, but he was never able to fully get luck. And luck is so good at, like, stepping up in the pocket uh, you know, climbing up the pocket, which means the same thing, and also picking his spots to get out and run. He's also much faster than you would think he would be as well, too. And so I, I don't think Houston really has a chance in this game unless both these guys are, are simply spectacular. Uh, Luke, how do you like their chances? Do you think Watson will bounce back against Brain Smith this time? Do you think they're going to use him more over the right guard to get him rushing against Glowandiski instead of against Brain Smith? And do you think they're going to try to use Jadavion Klein more in the interior even though that gets them matched up against the really good Quinn Nelson and Ryan Kelly. Yeah, I think more of the Clowney interior rushes, um, I think they're going to be on the card. Because I, even with Kelly, who, or sorry, Kelly is, I think, confirmed to be back, and Quinton Nelson also, I still, think, yeah. I, still th- I still think having Clowney rush from the interior, especially from standing up, has a lot of purchase, simply because of the fact that he can burst straight through a line so fast that it forces two offensive linemen to essentially have to collapse inwards in order to make sure that he doesn't just go straight crashing through the middle of the line. So he can cause ripple effects outwards. It's just going to be whether, like, I'm I'm not sold on the idea that Watt can get consistent purchase against Braden, like, against uh, Braden Smith. And I, so I'm kind of the same on Clowney. I think one or two... Splash plays in particular, I think, is what's going to decide this. If the Texans can force one or two turnovers and take the ball away, it's just essentially don't let Luck score for the one or two possessions. I think that's kind of, kind of what's going to flip it because I don't think they're going to hold them out for an entire game. I think the Colts are going to get their points. It's just can, there, can the Texans create one or two possessions or have one or two splash plays, whether it be an interception, a forced fumble, a big sack, anything like that that can just shift the balance towards the Texans. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think also like me consider the two times they played this year, you know, Houston scored 34 points in their first matchup. Uh, Jadavion J- Clowney had a touchdown that game. J.J. Watt strip sacked Andrew Luck about the 10-yard line, and Houston turned that into a touchdown. Their second matchup, uh, Clowney strip sacked Andrew Luck, put Houston in Indy's red zone, and they scored a touchdown from there. 
And so you're looking at defense that hand the offense over 21 points. But more important, and even just as important as that, is it, it stops drives too. And so Houston needs to make sure whenever they need third and long situations to get pressure, they're going to need to make some – these two guys are going to have to make some big plays. And, like, I'm really hoping also, like you mentioned, about using Clown the interior. I'm hoping to see a lot of that. I'm hoping to see a lot of Watt rushing against Kloniski on the interior. I'm hoping to see more Wendy Merciless on the outside. Like, Merciless can beat Costanzo. He's done it before. I think he could do it again. I want to see more Bernard McKinney blitzing, more Zach Cunningham blitzing. Like, anything they can do to create pressure against Andrew Luck. Because on the back end, I don't like uh, any of the matchups they have over there, too. And so, like, I've seen a lot of, you know, the Texans just need to stop T.Y. Hilton win this game. And, like, Hilton has had 314 receiving yards in their two games this year. Uh, Hilton 100, had 199 yards in the second matchup. The first matchup, he ended up missing the majority of the second half, and nobody could cover him. By the same time, though, Zach Paschal has had 124 receiving yards and two touchdowns against Houston. Chester Rogers had 121. Eric Ebron had 105 and two touchdowns. Naheem Hines had 79 yards and two touchdowns. Ryan Grant had 79 yards. And also Dontrell Inman, who was kind of like the – the Chargers, like, fourth wide receiver, was actually pretty good for the past, you know, two or three years. He usually come on late as well, too, for Indy, and he had a big touchdown against the Titans last week, too. And so I don't think this game is even just can the Texans stop T.Y. Hilton. I don't think they can stop him. But also the Colts have more receiving options. Like, Houston came and cover Zach Paschal. They came and cover Eric Ebron. And so I don't really think – I don't buy into this idea that they just have to stop T.Y. Hilton. I think – all these receivers on this team uh, post a threat for the Houston Texans. And so, BFD, do you think – what do you think about the secondary in this game? Do you think that there's any chance Houston has to cover any of these guys? And also, like, where do you set the bar at T.Y. Hilton's production for this game? I have a feeling that T.Y. Hilton's going to get a lot of love from the Texans secondary this game. But I'll, I'll hit that one last. And if you don't remember, Central Inman actually has a history against the Texans of ripping us apart. So there's that. And it was a few years ago. It was a home game against the Chargers, if anybody remembers. I think it's like 2014 or something crazy like that. Yeah, no, I remember that. I remember that one play that you're actually talking about, too. Um, it was double move, and I think it was Marcus Gilchrist bit on, I think, the double move, and Inman just ran straight past him. It rivers through it straight over. Yeah. Yep. 2015, that's right. Yep. So so there's your Dontrell Inman little trivia bit for today. Um, <laughs> Here, the problem is, is that there are so many mismatches across the board, and we should just be thankful Jack Doyle is hurt. I mean, if they were throwing Doyle at us as well, in addition to Eric Ebron, I would say we're really <laughs> doomed. In the Mo Ali Cox is super talented as well. Like he doesn't have like consistent production this year, but he's a really talented player too. He's ha- yeah, and and he had some success in the first matchup, that overtime win that Frank Reich really kicked off the Texan season by giving us a freebie. Um, but yeah, I, I, Hines is a great guy coming out of the backfield. He's super talented. I do not see like a very happy ending with this, uh, receiving core against us. I don't, you can't point to a single guy and goes, Oh, don't worry. X can take care of him. We're going to play stupid zone anyway, where we can't pass people off. We're not going to play man. And we're not going to, we're going to allow T.Y. Hilton to blow the lid off the cover. So I don't see where there's very good matchups and especially with the defense we have to play because we have to protect Kareem Jackson and Jonathan Joseph and, and the slow secondary that we've got Luke. Yeah. It's kind of, it's kind of just pick your poison. Like I think the T Y Hilton thing 
it like it should be just accepted that either he's going to have it or the Texans are going to have to completely overcommit to stopping the deep ball, which is actually a not bad like it's not a bad idea. If you take away big plays, that's you. That's been like a large chunk of what the Colts scoring has come from when they played the Texans over the past few years. So if they want to put a concerted effort into you know taking away the deep ball and taking away T.Y. Hilton's opportunities to you know make deep or sorry to have deep completions then you're going to die some other way. You're going to probably die due to Naheem Hines underneath. You're going to die due to Eric Ebron or Ryan Grant or Dontrell Lemon or any of the Tex- or sorry, any of the Colts receivers running the middle of the field where the safeties are going to have to vacate because if they're going to be playing deep, then they're going to have to play further and further and further back. Like, and that's going to just kill, out, kill off everything else. Not that the Texans already don't kind of do that with the way that they play cover, or sorry, the way they play cover four and they play like five yards off the line, the line of receiver, but you could see like even further cushions like just being brought about just because the Texans don't want to concede that. Um, for me, I like, I think Hilton's going to have his, I think I wouldn't be surprised at something like a seven catches, 10 target, 140. Yeah. Around about 140 with a touchdown. I'd imagine that's kind of what you might come out with. If, if the Texans hold him to anything less than that, I consider it a success. Yeah, I think that is kind of where I would set the minimum at too, like something around like 120 yards and a touchdown. The, the, really the only big thought I have about the secondary is they're going to play a lot of three safety sets. So it's going to be as much Aaron Cole, I mean as much Tyron Matthew, Justin Reed, Andre Howe situations they can have as possible. And then from there, the cornerbacks, they're going to have to play Sharice Wright some. Jonathan Joseph's supposed to play, but who knows? He's had his own struggles against T.Y. Hilton. Uh, Aaron Colvin has made, you know, zero sense at all this year. And then, you know, like, I guess they could play Mike Tyson. I don't know. But they're going to play a lot of three safety sets. And, you know, Justin Reed's had struggles tackling uh, as of late. Tyron Matthew got absolutely torched by Nelson Aguilar recently. Andre Howe is probably going to, you know, follow around T.Y. Hilton and kind of shout every side of the field that he's at to make sure he doesn't give up the big play on those situations too. But, I mean, if they play all-command coverage, you're going to give up a lot of 12-yard receptions and more of an efficient, effective game. And so, like, I don't know. I don't really think the secondary really matters that much at all because I don't see them playing well at all. I think it's just going to be awful and bad. I think really the only thing that – the only chance that they have is for the, the pass rush to just be great. And, again, I don't think it can be Watt or Clowney. It has to be Watt and Clowney. And if Watt and Clowney both are, you know, spectacular and crush three drives on their own, uh, I think Houston has a chance, you know, if the offense is aggressive. But, you know, overall, like, the secondary, I just think it's going to be bad, and there's nothing they can really do about it. This is just how their team is Their team is this year. Yeah, yeah. And, and you're, again, like Luke said, you're picking your poison because if you do play back, you do protect against the deep ball, <clears throat> they're just going to throw underneath all day, and you're not going to give the pass rush, you know, the time they need to actually get to the quarterback. I mean, if we play Joseph and these guys off seven, eight yards like we're wanting to do just to protect them because they don't have the long speed anymore, Andrew Luck's going to take that all day, and he's going to let T. White Hilton have a one-on-one matchup against Joseph and try to let him tackle him in the open field. He'll take that all day mm-hmm. because one of those plays is going to bust. And so it's almost like we need to give the pass rush time to get there and let the coverage dictate that, but at the same time, we can't afford to do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like the Texans' the Texans win condition defensively is – Create the or sorry is to have a really really aggressive pass rush. However, they can't really do that whilst also sacrificing the fact that their back end is just really really terrible, and they're just they can like 
they can't they can't afford them the time essentially. Yeah, and I think they probably pretty much have to play their cover three or cover four and play it close to the line of scrimmage and then give up you know give up seam routes and the sort of things to Eric Ebron. But at least it opens the door for you know Juan Clowney and the possible interior rush. Um, in their two games this year, the Colts have picked up their running backs have picked up 64 yards and 31 carries, which comes out to about you know 1.7 yards an attempt. The Texans have the best run defense in the league by DVOA. They're able to overtake the Bears in the year, which I'm I'm so glad that Houston's able to finish the best run defense. It means a lot to me. And so the Colts have Marlon Mack as their first running back. Uh, Jordan Wilkins has come on recently. He's had a lot of success. He averages 5.6 yards an attempt this season. And he was really good against the Titans last week too. And he's like, he's super shifty. And uh, he kind of reminds me of watching like Philip Lindsay. He's like that sort of back. And then you have Naheem Hines, who's been uh, really good as a pass catching back. He, of course, caught that touchdown against Yatara Matthew that will uh, live forever in my heart. So I'm not expecting the Colts to run the ball. If they run the ball once, I think they're making a mistake. But strangely, like Frank Reich and this offense has run the ball a lot more than you've expected to. And it really kind of craters this offense where they're in the previous games, they're moving the ball well, everything's going well, they're not having any issues. And they run the ball in first and 10, and then they're in second and eight, and they run the ball again, then they're in third and nine. And all of a sudden, they're stuck in a third down they should never even been in to begin with. And so, Luke, are you expecting the Colts to try to, you know, get anything from on the ground at all in this one? Or do you think this just can be like, hey, we have Andrew Luck. Well, he's going to throw the ball 50 times. He's going to throw for 450, 450 yards and four touchdowns. And that's the path we're going to take to win this game. I mean, I think they will play lip service towards the run game because I think they're going to want to play some kind of – or say they're going to want to integrate some kind of uh, play action. Um, especially with a player like T.Y. Hilton, a lot of play action and creating opportunities to throw the ball deep is going to be what they're going to do. I just believe I think it'd be really silly if they were if they were to invest a large, large chunk of their game into running because that's not their win condition. Their win condition is give the ball to Andrew Luck 40 times a game, let him throw because the space is going to be there. There is going to be chance for completions. It's just... Don't run! Don't run against the Texans. That's, that's all it is. Just don't run the football. Don't run. You'll be good. Yeah, and what's funny is, as you say that, and Indy has uh, the uh, I clicked off of it by fourth offensive line run blocking. So when they've been successful, they've been very successful. When they play the Texans, they're hitting their heads against the wall. So mm-hmm. I'm going to go with what you know. Follow up with what Luke said is that. They're going to have to pay some sort of lip service to it. But even when they won, uh, beat us a couple of weeks ago, <clears throat> look at 41 attempts and they had 23 rushes. Mm-hmm. So that was pretty lopsided as far as your balance. So I, I, I think it's going to wind up being something similar. It's going to be 45 Andrew Luck attempts with about 20 runs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know that what Luke's mentioning to that play action pass to I Hilton, they hit that against Jacksonville. They hit that pass against Tennessee too. And like I think they're going to try to, they're they're going to try they're going to have at least you know one or two attempts where they're going to say, hey, we have T.Y. Hilton as a long receiver, right? It's him against Jonathan Joseph. We're running play action with throwing about fifty five yards and hope we can hit it because they've had success with that play as well too. Uh, so I guess defensively, kind of sum it up, it's J.J. Watt Clowney has to be great. The secondary is going to be bad. Uh, J.J. Watt and Avion Clowney have to extinguish two or three drives, make some big plays, some turnovers. And that sort of thing to give the Texans offense the opportunity to score, you know, 27 points, 24 points, instead of having to score, you know, 35 points for them to win this game. Uh, is there anything else that you guys want to add about the defense at all? Um, yeah, I think, no, 
Well, go ahead, sir. Uh, yeah, sorry. It, um, one other thing I'd like to mention is that I think you're, you're, we're going to have to get outstanding play from Zach Cunningham and, and Bernardrick McKinney in coverage, mm -hmm. especially when we're playing the zone and they're dropping back in the zone. And if there's one thing we really can't afford to do with this game is drop Christian Covington and Angela Blackson in the coverage. Like, we need to stop the zone. <laughs> it's so much stop. fun, man. It's so yeah. stupid. And, and it, we cannot do that this game because Andrew Luck will absolutely pick up on that and pick apart the defensive tackle and coverage. So we need just to, we need to rush the four, bring the blitz, but don't drop Blackson in the coverage for Crikey's sake. Look, don't even drop Merciless in the coverage. Just get home to the quarterback all game. If we did get too cutesy with this one, we're going to be in a lot of trouble. And you know, one other thing is, as I mentioned their run, they're number two in pass protection. Thank you, Quentin Nelson. Thank you, Brayden Smith, Ryan Kelly. We got to make fun of the Colts for years because they had nothing protecting Andrew Luck. Now all of a sudden they're like a good offensive line, guys. This is no fun. I don't like it when the, when the Colts are good. I don't like it when the Colts' defense is good. Just screw the Colts in general. Yeah, the Colts are my least favorite team in the AFC South, but I do really like it. I really like Andrew Luck. And I like Darius Leonard. I like Anthony Walker. And I like Kenny Moore. It's so, like it sucks now because I do like pieces of it, but – Always Peyton Manning can just screw Peyton Manning always and forever. Um, he's the worst. So because of that, I'll yeah. always have that vitriol for Indy. So mm -hmm. we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we'll talk about the Texans offense and uh, what they can do to score enough points to score more points than the lot of points that Andrew Luck's going to score. And we're back. So Deshaun Watson has been spectacular lately. Uh, the Texans ran for only 47 yards and 62 yards against the Jets and Eagles. And in those games, the Texans still scored 29 and 30 points. And they also slept walked their way to 20 points against the Jaguars' top 10 de defense last week. Um, so my first question regarding the offense is, now if Juan Clowney aren't dominant, can Watson play, you know, shoot out with Andrew Luck? Can he you know, match him in points and kind of turn this into like a, a anything you can do, I can do better sort of game? Mm -hmm. I, think, I think he very much can. And I think he's shown it in the past that he can definitely do this. Whether or not, Bill O'Brien and the Texans offense will get to the point where they just go, screw it. And like they, re they realize, okay, we need to score a ton of points. We need this to be as just cut and loose as much as possible. That's going to be the real question. Because if, if, it comes, if it comes down to, okay, we need to, we need to score a lot. Yeah. Watson can play just really, really fast and loose. He can like, he can stretch out, or sorry, he can bootleg out of the pocket. He can just create some one-on-one -on -one situations, make a couple of defenders miss, make a couple of really crazy throws, which, you know, is what he's really, really good at is working off of script. Then, yeah, but whether or not that's going to be allowed for, whether or not that's going to be able to be accounted for is the real question. I do think he can do it, just whether or not it's going to be allowed. That's, that's, my, that's my take on that. Mm -hmm. I feel like I feel like you have a similar take, don't you, BFT? Deshaun Watson's a wizard. <laughs> okay, we need to let wizards be a wizard. Let his peacock fly. Okay, this is what I think we need to do. That's yes, I'm making the other guys' movie references now. Um, we need to take the shackles off of Deshaun Watson. God, that was a horrible analogy. I wish I could take back. It's but it's time to let the guy play. Look. For all the talk about how great his rookie season was, let's just look at the numbers. Let's just take a little peek, shall we? Uh, he had a higher QB rating, only by 0.1, but a higher QB rating. Of course, his touchdown rate was down, but his interception rate was down massively. And his, uh, his uh, completion rate went from 61.8 to 68.3. 68.3? Percent. This year, yes. Jeez. 
Yes. He's a wizard, Matt. Have you not been paying attention to the wizard part? So here's <laughs> here. I had a, was having a conversation. I actually got out of the house for New Year's Eve and was talking about football with a couple of friends. And today, right now, Deshaun Watson is a top 10 quarterback in the NFL, right? By DVOA, I looked it up. He was 10th, right? Yes, he's 10th. He better than uh, Wilson. Better than a lot of other guys. He's a good quarterback today, right now. And if you think about it, three years ahead, Drew Brees is going to be retired. Philip Rivers is going to be retired. Retzelsberger is going to be retired. Tom Brady's going to be retired. Aaron Rodgers probably. Look, in three years, Deshaun Watson is capable of being a top five quarterback in the NFL. And I think he can do that today if allowed the opportunity to do so. So if we see another game like we did over the weekend against Jacksonville, where we had 33 rushes and 35 pass attempts, we're asking for total and complete fail. So it is time to let Deshaun Watson be him. He's, he's good about not taking big hits. He's good about being out of, getting out of bounds. He's good about sliding. Got it. You got to put the team on his shoulders and let him win on Saturday. Or we don't stand a chance. If we pussyfoot around and we start trying to give the ball to damn Alfred Blue and Lamar Miller, we do not stand a chance. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and I think one of the weird things, too, like I've I watched all the video from the Jets, Eagles, and Colts game. And I'll watch the Jaguars game tonight probably, too, or if not tomorrow or whatever. I'm going to write something for Friday about it. But, like, it really seems like the Texans have two different offenses. They have the offense when they, when they have a lead or the game is tied, and that's the super conservative run first, you know, punt, play field position sort of offense. And they have the second offense, which is – uh, you know, throw the ball downfield, run a lot more play action, let Watson take control and, you know, actually push it to score points. And so, like, whenever Houston is doing it and going for it, you know, they have a really good offense. Like, it works well. Deshaun Watson's spectacular. Um, and, like, also, whenever they whenever they have a pass rush or the passing offense, like, I like what they do even in the first half of the games. They've done a really good job changing things up and throwing to Hopkins whenever there's any sort of blitz. He's become their hot receiver. Instead of just dumping the ball to Ryan Griffin, the flat. Um, I like how much more play action they're utilizing now. And then also using him as a runner, too. You know, you create those deeper play action passes that actually mean something. Whenever you're running a fake jet sweep and then faking the handoff, it doesn't matter if you're actually running plays off of it. And then you're just increasing the pass rushing time for the defense, which is a bad, you know, it's a bad idea for what the offensive line they have and the issues that they've had. And especially whenever you're not even running those plays, but I know they actually are using Watson as a runner. That adds another level to the passing game that really hasn't been fully explored either. And so, like, I, I think the key for this game offensively for Houston, I don't think it's really like a scheme thing necessarily or like a, a big strategy thing or some of the Colts are going to do on their end. I think it's mainly just Bill Bryan staying at, being aggressive the entire game, not not having the score dictate what he what he's going to do. Because the thing is the Texans need to score probably – you know, 28 points, 31 points at a minimum to win this game. And uh, and they and the only way that they're going to be able to do that is if they're throwing aggressively on first and second down the entire game instead of letting the score kind of dictate what they're doing. And so, yeah. Luke, do you th- what do you think is going to happen with Bill Bryant? Is he going to be an aggressive offensive coordinator? Or is he going to keep doing what he's been doing previously this year? I think there'll be traces of it during the first half of the game. I think he's going to go – I think one of the things which we've noticed, I'd like to see the splits between first half and second half scoring. I think he goes out at the start with that aggressive style of offense, and I think he wants to try and build a lead as fast as he can. 
So I think you're going to see that in the early going. If the Texans start to fall behind early, or sorry, later and later, I think it might kind of snowball and get away from him. I think he'll stick with like the really aggressive offense. I just don't think it'll be effective because the Colts will essentially have a lead and will understand, okay, they're just going to sling it a lot. So it could turn into a similar kind of situation which happened in the Jets game where they just abandoned having a, like a backfield and just went, okay, we're going to go five wide, spread everyone out, and we're just going to try and run a quick, like a very, very quick passing offense. That, uh, that I could see kind of happen too. I think you could go to a spread look, or sorry, to spread looks a lot more. Um, I'm not sure if he's going to commit more to, say, some of the old-fashioned, like, willful DeAndre Hopkins, like, two-wide receiver sets, and we're just going to have max protection. I could see that a little bit. Um, but I don't, I don't think he's going to be overly aggressive. I don't think he's literally just going to go, like, turn to Deshaun Watson, hand him, like, tape of Rex Grossman, and just go, you know, what's this guy? This is, this is what I want out of you on Saturday. Just, you know, <laughs> if you see DeAndre Hopkins in double coverage in like 40 yards down the field, I want you to throw to him, okay? That's, that's going to be the game plan for the weekend. I don't think he's going to do that. But I yeah. do think he's going to have some aggressive elements within, within the game plan. Yeah, and I'm, I'm hoping to see a lot of those spread wide receiver sets, like empty backfields, you know, five wide receivers. The Colts pass rush is mediocre. Like, Marcus Hine has cooled off, thankfully, because whenever he was playing as good as he was, the universe you know, barely makes any sense as it, as it is already. And a universe where Marcus Hine is like a top 10 pass rusher is not, is not what I want to live in at all. Uh, you know, Jamal Shearer is really good. They do a really good job. They're blitzing that sort of thing, too. But, like, that gets DeAndre Hopkins more one versus one uh, man coverage opportunities, which is what you're trying to get for your pass offensive scheme. DeAndre Carr has been sp- surprisingly good. Whenever you have him and Kiki Cutie, you kind of have two slot receivers that you can use on both sides of the field too. And, uh, and I think just like spraying things out, like Watson, just be a magician, a warlock, a soothsayer, whatever you want to call him. Uh, that's I think that's, that should be their go-to thing. And my really my concern is if Houston goes up like 14-10 and all of a sudden the Texans are riding the ball and punting and, uh, and just trying to shorten the game or like trying to close the game out in the third quarter and that sort of thing when they need to score as many points as they can to really kind of put this game away. Because that's what happened in their first matchup. They went by 14. They lost them through the interception. They tried to run the clock out in the third quarter, and the Colts came back and were able to tie and send it to overtime. And so hopefully that doesn't happen this one, but it's Bill O'Brien, and I'm not expecting uh, anything like that to happen. I'm expecting it to be cautious whenever the game's tied or close. I'm expecting them to try to run the ball if they get a lead at all whatsoever. And I'm expecting them to try to like come storming back and they go down by you know, seven points or 10 points or 13 points. I think this is going to be a great game to see is our coach learning because we've seen Bill O'Brien's offense evolve over the course of the year. And Matt, you and I are awesome. I just got to humbly say that you and I are awesome. We've been saying a bunch of this stuff all season, but when he started chipping pass rushers, things got better. And, and, and when he started going back to the 2017 playbook, that was super obvious that things were going to get better. And we started using Deshaun Watson as a runner. Obviously, that was going to get better. You and I are awesome, Matt. I just want to reiterate that. And so what we've seen is, is we've seen that over the past couple of weeks, when the Texans fall behind, their offense is, is the best. The best Texans offense is when Deshaun Watson is allowed to do things. And so if, if we see – that Bill O'Brien is coming out and handing the ball to Lamar Miller on first and 10 every freaking time, then we'll know that our coach isn't learning. So that to me is going to be the big one. And you know, part of me has hoped all season that the, the just 
poor play calling and a stupid play calling has just been rope-a-dope for the playoffs. I don't really have any faith in that. I know I've talked to a couple of people who think Bill O'Brien's got to really be getting it right. He's got to, he's got to understand that Lamar Miller and Alfred blew up the middle on first down don't work. You would think that, but he keeps doing it. So there's no reason to believe it's rope-a-dope. So I think you'll see from the first series if they're being serious about the game. And if they're handing the ball off to Blue and Miller, they're not being serious about the game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's yeah, a good way, good, good way to put it, too. Uh, so, Luke, if it's – I know the first time these the, – or at least the other times these two teams have played, the Colts have ran a lot of cover three and a lot of cover four. Um, they've done some interesting things to bracket DeAndre Hopkins. The Texans mm-hmm. put DeAndre Hopkins in the slot a couple times, leaving him one-on-one against Darius Leonard, and Leonard was able to deflect both those passes in the red zone, which is still, like, one of the, one of the more incredible things I've seen this year. And they were able to really kind of focus and draw their attention over to Hopkins. And the good news is that four receivers have trouble being man coverage, uh, like DeAndre Carter, Vincent Smith, and some of their, their secondary wide receivers. You know, this has given them the opportunity to find holes in the zone, uh, take advantage of the spotlight that DeAndre Hopkins take. And so are you expecting much from Vincent Smith or DeAndre Carter or, you know, Akins or Thomas or QD in this game? And do you think Houston will take advantage of the attention that DeAndre Hopkins draws in the past and against against Indy secondary, especially because of Mount Cover three and Cover four the Colts play? I think they can run a couple of concepts which can really really help. Um, I really like DeAndre Carter as a slot receiver in terms of just he can create some really really nice stuff after the catch. So in terms of creating easy completions and easy easy yardage, I think just get the get the ball to Carter and he can actually create some yardage after that. In terms of, of like looking to attack the cover three and cover four, um, I think the way in which they're going to approach it is probably going to be similar to the way in which they've gone about it for the past year, which is to kind of have one receiver, i.e. Vincent Smith, Demarius Thomas, Will Fuller, attack the deep parts of the zones and have Hopkins working the middle, the middle part of the field in the mid in the mid zones. That's where the most space usually gets created. So if you're looking to generate particular looks like, you usually see when the Texans move Hopkins into the slot. That could be a or sorry, a really consistent way of doing it. Whether or not it's any other player but Hopkins doing that, I'm a little bit skeptical. Um, I'm not sure just how or what the tech or what the Texans' confidence is in a lot of those receivers, or whether or not they're just going to use them as kind of decoy runners to create space for Hopkins or they're going to get them looks in really kind of very specific situations, like you see with DeAndre Carter and with um, a lot of the screenplays, um, which, you know, he's actually, he's, he's very silently retaken the Braxton Miller role of the offense, which we, it was gone for the longest part, but he somehow managed to bring it back. Um, desperate times, I guess. Um, but whether or not that's going to manifest, or what it's going to manifest like for the game on Saturday, I think they'll just attack. I think you're just going to see a bunch of different. I think they're going to move Hopkins around a lot more. Uh, whether or not they give specific looks to any of the other receivers, that's what I'm. That's what I'm curious to see because I'm not sure whether or not it's going to happen. Gotcha. Is there anything? What do you think, BFT? Do you, are you expecting much from the secondary receivers for Houston? Oh, I would like to hope so. I would like to see a lot less Ryan Griffin. Any Ryan Griffin is bad. Ryan Griffin. And I know we're, we're – um, What's like your favorite player. Ryan Griffin? My favorite Ryan Griffin is the one that's fired into the sun. <laughs> My, mine is the, the two-yard flat third and six Ryan Griffin. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the only other thing that can possibly top that is the 
we need seven yards, and we're going to make Alfred Blue gain four of those by after catching the ball. That's that's my favorite. That's just like, why not just hand – just go to the other team, just take out the injury risk, and just go hand the ball to the other team and say, here, we're going to throw the ball at Alfred Blue four yards short of the first down anyway. We don't want anybody to get injured. Just take it. I am so, so excited to use that gift. Um, of Ryan Griffin from earlier this season when, like, he, I think it was I can't remember which game, I think it was against the Cowboys where uh, he got essentially just back shoulder fade in the end zone and the ball just goes straight through his arms like, it's, <laughs> like he's trying to make himself a goal post it's like, it's still one of my favorite, favorite memories from this season but I, I just, every anytime I think of Ryan Griffin, I think of that I think of that gift, it's just, you know, straight through the uprights, it's it's it's, man- it's a manifestation of the Texans' field goal offense, um, but in receiver <laughs> form. It's great. Yeah. Uh, I mean, over the last two years, he has 37 receptions and 69 targets. He is so freaking bad. That, that's I'm – try- I'm trying to think. That season, like, tar- that kind of percentage targets catch-wise is – I think I've only, I've only like, I'm the, the one season which is really springing to my head was that Al, was Allen Robinson's really, really bad year in Jacksonville, like his last healthy one, um, or like Deon, the I think it was the 2016 DeAndre Hopkins year, um, where he he just like had under with thousand receiving yards and had something like seventy catches of like t- one hundred and twenty targets or something like that, <laughs> just something something ridiculous. Um, but yeah, Griffin. Griffin really shouldn't be on the field. Um, I think it's just you know, good old boy kind of thing, and he's just been around so often. He's been around the team so long that they're just really too used to him at this point. Um, Six years of futility, Luke. Six years of futility from Ryan Griffin. If you cannot believe that, yeah, I can't um, believe he's still here. And it's him and Alfred Blue being here is kind of unbelievable. He's like if Garrett Graham's career went perfectly, he'd be Ryan Griffin. <laughs> uh, so the the Colts run defense, their twentieth and pass defense DVOA, their run defense is fourth. Uh, so are we expecting Bill O'Brien to try to set the run early and play conservatively? And also, like if if Lamar Miller's healthy, what are you expecting from the run game BFT? And how much of a factor are Watson's legs can play in the run game? And I'm not talking about scrambles here at all. I'm talking purely as zone reads, uh, power, you know, those power plays, the zone leads. And, like, manufacturing Watts as a runner, are you expecting that to carry on forward into this game as well, too? And also, are you expecting the Texans' run offense to have any success against the Colts? I, I think that Bill O'Brien's going to do what Marvin O'Brien does best, and that is be super conservative. And so I'm, I'm expecting that. What I see that his strategy is going to be is <clears throat> ball control. If I control the ball, then Andrew Luck can't have it. And the way you establish ball control is by running it. And it's going to be really stupid. And I think the only hope that we've got is by using Deshaun Watson as a runner more often than, than not. And then you're at risk of getting Deshaun Watson hurt. And so I'm not really enamored with the idea of him being overused as a runner at the same time, even though he's effective. So I, I'm hoping there is a balance there. But I absolutely expect O'Brien to come out and to try to establish the run and to try to control the clock. And both of those things are going to backfire spectacularly. Yeah, it's um, uh, I I I just don't have like I could see I could see the Texans going more pass heavy in the first couple of quarters, like I said before, but 
I don't think that's going to stay away for too long. I think after a while, O'Brien's going to just, he's going to want to establish the run. He's going to want to, you know, create, create situations which are favorable for play action. And that requires you giving the ball to a running back. Now, whether who that running back is, that could, that could differ. I hope it's Deshaun Watson and Lamar Miller. However, what I fear is going to happen is that Alfred Blues can touch the ball 10 times in that game. And that's just not, not going to be good. It hasn't been, it's never been good. Never once. Never was it a good idea during that game against Cleveland a couple of years ago where he did it 32 times. Um, that, that game is still seared into my memory. Um, it's just, I just don't, tr- I, like, I don't trust him. I've never, I've never had great trust in Bill O'Brien to actually correctly use the run game. Just even look at Lamar Miller. Look at the amount of passing opportunities and passing targets he's had this year. The passing game for running backs as a whole has completely vanished. Like it's just gone for a huge chunk of the part. So is he going to look for innovative or like creative ways to actually try and implement the run game? No, he's never really done that. So he's just going to try and pay lip service to the run game. Hopefully that'll set up enough play play action opportunities which can create deep passing attempts which the Texans can get one or two big plays off, and hopefully that's enough to get you the win. That's how, it's gonna, that's how I think it's going to go. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not expecting much from the run game. And, like, going back and watching uh, the last game these two teams played against each other, it was a lot of uh, just to ball sheer, be turning the Jadavion Clowney, going up against Kendall Lamb. And, again, they're, they're really having problems blocking the second level too recently. And so I'm not ex- expecting really, you know, a whole lot from the run game at all whatsoever. And I think for both these teams, too, once they – I think one of the keys to this game also is going to be uh, which team can realize run the ball stupid. It's futile. Let's not do it. Let's throw it as much as we can and go as pass-heavy as we can be aggressive with it. Because I think anytime you run the ball in first down or, like, second and seven, you're just putting yourself in a third and long situation. And so whichever team kind of realizes that, the quickest, I think, is going to have a, an advantage in this one as well, too. And, like, Darius Leonard's been awesome in the run. Anthony Walker's been great chasing and tackling. I think even if they use Watson as a runner, those two guys are so fast and so good at cleaning things up. That I don't think Watson is even going to be, you know, all that effective as a runner too. And uh, the last thing, you know, going back to the Colts, the last time they played is they did a lot of slot corner blitzes. And this is also another way to kind of stop all those Deshaun Watson zone reads and stuff is if you blitz from the, from the backside, you bring the backside defensive end, you just have your – you just make sure that he chases because if Watson keeps, he's running right into a blitzing slot quarterback. And uh, that's another good way to kind of prevent that too. And in the past game, you know, going back to these slot corner blitzes that Kenny Moore used, uh, they sacked Watson five times the last time they played. The main reason why it works so well is that the Texans chip a lot. And I don't think the Texans should chip that much in this game. Jamal Sheard is really good, but like I think Julian Tavenport can handle him okay. I think Kendall Lamb could be – decent enough they should get the chance to block them one-on-one I'm not really all that worried about Marcus Hunt I'm not that worried about Woods and uh, I know I know Lewis is a pretty good bull rusher Danico Autry had some sacks for like just guys didn't block him I'm not really worried about the Colts front four pass rush it's kind of more about their blitzing situations and so whenever you have Ryan Griffin turning his head and chipping or Jordan Thomas turning his head and chipping he's not even seeing the slot corner blitz coming from that direction and that slot corner blitz just kind of runs completely around it. I think it's more important to just keep it back in there to kind of pick up the, the trash that kind of comes that way as well too. And that way they can pick up those blitzes. And the last thing about the slot corner blitzes is that it keeps lost in the pocket. 
where whenever you have a guy coming from his right side uh, that quick and that, you know, that free, the only thing he can try to do is run, outrun him from a standstill start, which he's going to do, or, you know, kind of throw the ball away, or you dodge and dip, which he can do sometimes, but overall it's not going to be a sustainable strategy for him. So I'm hoping they don't chip that much. It's going to be interesting to see if the Colts do uh, that much uh, that much slot corner blitz that they did the previous time. And I'm not even expecting Watson to run have to make that, that much of an impact. I think for the Texans to move the ball, it needs to be in a lot of, you know, one-back situations out of the shotgun four wide receivers, even go into empty sets and try to take advantage of the Colts' best cornerback being Kenny Moore. He was probably like the 40th best cornerback in the league. And then and they kind of go from there. I think that's the best option that they have. Yeah. And I think that kind of touches on what we were talking about earlier in terms of creating four or five wide sets in that if the Colts are going to blitz and if they're going to bring pressure, then these are the kind of situations in which you need to have quick passing offense to actually, you know, put pressure on those things. So, you know, since, since they're committing more and more players, create, there is going to be space there. So if you can actually find a way to get receivers like DeAndre Carter, get receivers like Vincent Smith, who are actually good, like with the ball in their hands, yeah, a quick five-yard quick five yard sl- slant and then just let them run for 15 yards afterwards. That's a really, really good way to get off, consistent offense churning. What's more, if you can if you can start punishing them when they blitz, it it forces them to back off. It for and what you can start doing then is getting a little bit more creative. You can start calling in play action. You can start implementing read option. You can actually start running out more than two or three two or three receivers, or you can max protect on some two, um, or you can like chip and max protect in, on some plays, and you can actually you know make sure that Watson has four or five seconds and let a deeper passing opportunity develop, which is going to be what it is whether or not those things are all going to happen and whether or not when the Texans do chip or when the Colts do blitz those things will be picked up that's going to be the kind of big point of the game what about you BFD what are you, how are you thinking the Texans are going to counteract the Colts blitzing I don't know but if, uh, if I'm Deshaun Watson I'm going to have my head on the swivel about any safety or slot cornerback coming after me because that was just so successful. The way that if you look at what they did to Watson in the last matchup and the way they were able to keep him in the pocket and, that, and to subtract what makes the shot Watson dangerous. And, and listen, again, perspective is everything. Everybody talks about Sam Darnold throws great on the run. No, he doesn't. He, he's terrible on the run. There are stats to prove this. Stop saying it. Stop it. Stupid football. Deshaun is he good throwing on the run? Oh, no, stop it. <laughs> Deshaun Watson is different though he is good and so if you take take that away from him then that's going to be a lot of trouble because the offensive line you know we can you can say yeah we, we can't we should not be chipping people to get you know guys out in the routes quicker and stuff like that and you're not wrong that's the price you pay for chipping but man sometimes that offensive line is just a hot wet mess and we don't know what's going to happen on Saturday yeah, I, I just don't think it's required against the Colts. If they're playing the Chiefs, I would say you have to. If they're playing the, the Chargers, I would say you'd have to. Uh, they're playing New England, I'd say that you probably shouldn't do it. But just with the matchup that they have. Uh, and I think that's also important you mentioned, too, with Watson and keeping a sound of school because a lot of those cornerback blitzes from that indie game, nobody saw them. Like Kenny Moore's lined up. He's coming. You can, you can look at his stance. He's, he's going to be running after you. And he just ignores it and doesn't even think about it whatsoever. Ryan Griffin never even looks to the right and takes a look at it all either. And, uh, and that really hurt him as well, too, in that game. So 
Oh no, I, I think that kind of is a is a perfect preview. I'm super excited for this weekend's game. And the last thing that we have to do is make some picks. So, Luke, who do you have winning this game? Uh, Colts. I'm taking Colts 34 to 23. All right, BFD, what do you, who do you have in this game? Well, you know i got to get some messed up number because I have to count for all five field goal attempts we're going to do. <laughs> so, I'm going to be in, 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 in Luke's area. I'm going to say it's going to be something like – and it's got to be so. It's got to be multiple field goals, and it's got to be a one-score game. I think that's the, that's the bingo card rules for Marvin O'Brien coach team is that we're going to lose a one-score game, and it's going to be uh, let's say, hold on, math is hard, thirty-four to twenty-six. That's two touchdowns and four field goals. <laughs> I like how you have to make sure it's like yeah no I, you, I, say you have fifty seven cents it's like yeah but it's uh, two dimes seventeen nickels right and, <laughs> and I don't know what that even comes out to but yeah I have, I have a similar score I have Indy winning thirty four twenty six and what I think happens I think Indy goes up by you know ten points or thirteen points the Texans try to throw to catch up they do but I don't think Watson's going to get another attempt to actually win the game uh, kind of like how the second game went. I just, I just, I think it's gonna be a coin flip. But I think the Texans just aren't gonna get another chance, or something's gonna happen at the end, and that's kind of how those one-score games go. So, yeah, and this game, Bill O'Brien needs to treat this game like it's a horse race. He needs to step on the gas from the first snap and never look back. And I just don't see him doing that because he hasn't done it all year, and he doesn't do it until he's the team is behind, and all of a sudden the team does well. Wow, who thunk it? So it's he has to treat it like this is a sprint and not a marathon. Yeah, throw the ball a lot. It's good. You get more yards throwing the ball than running the ball. Keep doing it. It's going to work out pretty well, especially going up against the, you know, the fourth-best run defense in football, too. Uh, do you have anything else you want to add, Luke? Um, I mean, yeah, I kind of, kind of going, back, going back to what PFT was saying. It's just like you're, you're, the way in which the Texans win this game is if something which has never happened before or something which has rarely happened before happens and happens for a consistent period of time. If that happens, yeah, we're going to win. Screw my prediction. It's probably wrong anyway. <laughs> uh, and so we had, we had two reader questions real quick. One was from Euler, Texan Diehard. He was asking for free agency and, and kind of draft targets. Uh, the only thing that matters is right here, right now, the present moment, uh, what's occurring at this very second, this very instant, and this fleeting thing that we call live. So we'll have all spring to talk about drafts and free agents and that sort of thing. We'll have all summer to go back and watch these same guys and try to come up with some infinite content. But uh, now is not the time yet for the discussion. Uh, we'll be talking all about that here soon. Now we still have more football. Another question we have from UT, and he asked why are Central Florida and Georgia so bad that made him lose money and his bowl pick them thing. Uh, I don't know anything about college football at all. It's just it's a big mess. I think it's even messier too now that you don't even know which teams actually care about their bowls and who don't. And then uh, also everybody's sitting out as well too. So the whole thing, I understand that. College football, the games take too long. I can't watch that much football. But uh, this is this is BFT's time now to gloat about the Texas Longhorns being back. Hook them, woo! <laughs> That's gross. <laughs> it's almost as gross as the Texas mascot attacking, viciously attacking the Georgia Bulldog. That's how we play it, man. It's, it's, it's all, man, once you're on the field, there's no quarter given. Yeah, apparently not, especially if you're a 1,000-pound bovine going after a 52-pound bulldog. 
Yeah, that's the fastest Uga's ever moved in its life. <laughs> <laughs> and now I really want UT and a to play each other again just so we can get the Longhorn against the Collie Dog, you know? <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> I just want that to be in, like, the ESPN, like, puff package beforehand. It's just, like, budding rivalry. I just have footage of, like, the bull charging out of the pen again. I want that. I think that'd yeah. be cool. But we really established dominance even before the game started. And I think that was important for that victory. And, and so, oh, that's right. That's right. I actually did want to talk about the game a little bit and in the context of tomorrow's game. And I'll be really quick about it. So you see what happened. Georgia is a team that is very, very run-based. Right? All their success was based upon establishing the run and, and protecting their mediocre, frat-looking dude you want to punch in the face a whole bunch from, right? That was their entire game plan offensively. Establish the run. Don't let the frat, ugly frat dude you want to punch in the face try to win games for you. And so when it came down to the game yesterday and they had to come back from a couple scores down, they couldn't do it because they didn't practice what needed to be practiced during the season, which is passing the ball to win games. And so I just want to use that metaphor, air quotes, everybody can see me on the screen, air quotes, that it reminded me of a Texans game. It totally reminded me of a Texans game in that we just are so infatuated with, with establishing the run that we pay the price if any little small thing happens. And then we're so far behind the eight ball, we can't come back and win the game. And so that's, that was my main takeaway from the game last night is that Georgia just couldn't do it because ugly frat guy you want to punch in the face couldn't do it. Yeah, poor Jake Fromm. Um... They should, they should have stuck with Jacob Eason, but, you know, he's in Washington now. Anyway, that, that, that's, not, that's neither here nor there. Um, yeah, for, like, I, the whole college bowl things as a whole, I just, I just really enjoyed um, the comeuppance that Georgia got from tweeting out during the Notre Dame game that they got, like, it was just like, yeah, these guys should definitely not have made the top four. And then Georgia goes out, you know, loses to Texas. So, poor. Yeah, there's that weird, like, cannibalism involved with college football. And, like, I, I don't watch college football at all. Like, so the games take too long, and I can I watch enough football as it is, just professional-wise. But I, I have been uh, listening to the shutdown full cast, especially in the dry sauna before I actually work out. So, like, I'll listen to an episode of that, sweat for, like, 30 minutes. And it's uh, the podcast is so good where it's, like, you don't have to like college football to like the show. And so I've been listening to that, and that's how I've enjoyed the, the kind of zany part of college football but the games itself just still just take too long. I didn't go to any of those schools in a lot anyways, you know. Uh, the school I went to is, is battling for two-star recruits out of, like, drip, Dripping Springs that has, like, 130 kids, I guess. Ew, Dripping Springs sounds disgusting. <laughs> it's a nice place. It's, like, up there in the hill country, and there's a lot of fields and some hills and stuff, a little post office. Yeah, but why did they have to use such, you know, really disgusting adjective as dripping? I thought, I thought dripping is cool now. I thought dripping is – the kids think it's cool to be dripping now. Okay, yeah, sure. Don't yeah. pull dripping. Oh, yeah, yeah. Do, you know, go around to the kids' house and say, yo, kids, what's dripping? See what happens. <laughs> That's what I say. It's not oh, just laying down my, my, hung, my hungover nose <laughs> as I come up to the kids. Beautiful, beautiful. Yeah. Well, yeah. yeah, I'm glad you're happy. I'm glad somebody's happy here. Well, uh, thanks for listening. To everybody listening to the show tonight, make sure you subscribe to the show if you're still listening. Uh, I feel like if you are still listening, you're probably already doing that, but uh, I have to say anyways. Uh, we'll be back on tomorrow, maybe tomorrow's Thursday. I'll be back on Friday. 
and we'll preview the rest of the wild card games. And then we'll be back on next Tuesday to talk about the Texans-Colts uh, game and then maybe even talk a little about the next opponent they're going to have, too, if they win, which we don't think is going to happen, but hopefully it happens uh, because watching Deshaun Watson in the playoffs is going to be a, a spectacular thing. And hopefully we get a lot more of these playoff runs as the, as the future keeps on coming for us. So, anyways, my name is Matt Weston. Thank you for listening to Red Radio. And thank you for uh, being on tonight, BFD and Luke. Yeah. Gabriel blows his horn. Oh, no, end it now. End it now. <laughs> My name is Spencer Hall. My name is Jason Kirk. My name is Ryan Nanny. And when we combine, we form the, the Shutdown, Shutdown Fullcast. Fullcast. I keep telling you, we're not Fultron. The Shutdown Fullcast is technically a college football podcast, but it's also a show about lawn care disasters, regional grocery stores we love, Tennessee Batman, homeowners associations, Bears and video games. I mean, there's also some actual football discussion, like about coaches having huge contracts or coaches making terrible decisions or coaches saying really stupid things. Or the NCAA saying really stupid things. Yeah, there's lots of stupid things in this big, dumb, beautiful sport. Sometimes we talk about football games. Allegedly. If you want to take college football exactly as seriously as it deserves to be taken, come find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you listen to podcasts like this one. The Shutdown Fullcast. It's not Voltron.